No, don't. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! Hey, everybody, I'm Dave. It's been a minute. Uh, I am one of the pastors here at Midtown, uh, but Jeremy is actually at a wedding, I think. He and Sarah and their family at a wedding in Florida. So I get to bring the word for us this morning. Before I do that, uh, I want to pray for the folks in North Nashville and north of our city, uh, and then then we'll dive in. So let's, uh, let me pray for us um, and for them. Oh, Lord, uh, we just pause and we um, just allow our hearts uh, to engage uh, with what's going on. It's easy uh, to, when it doesn't happen to you, uh, to feel distant from it, uh, Lord. But I know there's been enough uh, hard weather in Nashville's history that uh, this at least awakens something in many of us. Um, so we pray For those in North Nashville, uh, for those north of Nashville and Hendersonville and Gallatin and Clarksville, anybody who is in the path uh, of these horrific storms last night, uh, God, just ask uh, for your mercy, your grace, a sense of your presence, Lord. Would you make yourself present through other people, uh, to people in need, Uh, Lord? uh, Would uh, you, yeah, really bind people together uh, and help people feel a sense of you being Uh, with them. We pray for the families who lost uh, loved ones and just the grief uh, that a day earlier uh, none of them knew they would be swimming in and uh, just in many ways don't know what to pray other than just uh, come Lord Jesus come uh, and be with them and surround them in ways uh, that they cannot understand uh, or even explain. So uh, be with us and give us wisdom, uh, courage, conviction, commitment about uh, ways that we can support uh, from where we're at uh, or get engaged uh, with those who are on the ground. Uh, Be with everybody who's furiously trying to restore um, some sense of order uh, in a place of chaos. Uh, May they be the hands and feet of you to those in need. So we love you. Uh, We trust you. uh, Even in days like this, Uh, we we know that you're working. Uh, So please, Lord, work in your name. Amen. Thank you. Um, Okay. So, um, I've been watching this show alone. Yeah, thank you, Paul. I think it was Paul Moak who got me to watch this. Who who watches alone? Yeah? If you don't watch alone, you should watch alone. I kind of stayed on the perimeter of it for a little while, and I started watching it. It's a survival show. I guess it's been going for like 11 seasons now, where uh, they drop people basically in the middle of nowhere, um, I think they're in like, Lab- well, the season I'm watching, they're in Labrador, Canada. I think guess it's season nine. And they basically, they have nothing. They have 10 items that they get to take with them. No food, no anything. Uh, they have to make their own shelter, hunt for their own food, gather everything. I mean, it's, it's rough, you know. It's, it's a nearly impossible situation. And as people kind of go through the days and weeks of the show, um, their hope, because the goal is basically you uh, try to last out everybody, right? You, last person, I, I guess, gets a half a million dollars. Um, and so uh, they're videotaping themselves and everything. But as people start to literally waste away, what you watch is their hope uh, began to shrink. And um, I was thinking about it. I was watching the show and I was thinking about preaching this morning. I was like, you know what? This is actually a great picture uh, of the spiritual landscape of God's people coming into the season that we celebrate at Christmas, which was the coming of Christ. Um, They are uh, coming off of when Jesus 
uh, arrives on the scene, they're coming off of 400 years of silence, okay? 400 years of no prophets, uh, generations have come and gone. If you know anything about the people of God, even if you think about the Exodus, that was 40 years in the wilderness. We're talking about 400 years, technically, in spiritual wilderness, so I don't know about you, but when time passes like these folks on alone, hope's attention span, right? Waiting with hope, uh, that attention span for a Messiah is probably uh, wearing thin, uh, about as thin as some of these characters on alone. And likely uh, they were spiritually feeling like we're starving in the wilderness at this point, okay? But that, that time of waning hope uh, is when the advent of Christ happens, right? Advent, I think Jeremy said a lot about this last week, is, means to, it's just a Latin word that basically means the coming or the arrival. Um, it's a word used uh, ultimately to reflect on not only the first coming of Christ in flesh, but also his second coming, right? So Advent, um, oftentimes we're looking back, right? We're looking back at the first coming of Christ, but Advent, historically for the church, not just focuses on the first coming of Christ, but on the second coming of Christ as well. Advent focuses on both, not just his historical coming, but that he will return. It's actually really cool that we're getting to do Advent right on the heels of Revelation, right? Remember in Revelation, we were talking about the fact of Christ's second return and how does his return reframe reality for us? How do I look at my life and live my life in light of the fact that Christ is coming again? So I'd really encourage us in this, this Advent season, as we're celebrating and preparing for Christmas, that Advent isn't just a season, it's a state of being. You are constantly in a state of Advent. You are constantly, you and I walk around every single day living with hope, living with desire, living with longing, or trying to kill it, right? But it's critical that we understand what it's about and who it's about and that we don't Wait alone in this place of hope and longing. Advent is a season. It's not, or it's not just a season. It's a state of being. So it's our prayer that all of these services would really help us become those who wait well and who stir and live in the hope and the promises that we have of God in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look today at the account of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary, which is famously known as the Annunciation, Right? Announcing to her the earth-shattering, uh, staggering, you know, category-breaking truth that God is actually breaking into his creation, that he's taking on flesh. That the second member of the Trinity, right, Jesus Christ, is going to be born as a baby. And that, that's staggering enough, but to Mary specifically, that she was going to be the one through whom this miraculous inbreaking and fulfillment was going to take place. So, Cynthia Sandall, I think you're the one who's reading for me this morning. Come on up. Everybody, this is Cynthia. She's going to read. Yeah. This is Luke. Do you want my, you want my readers? You got readers on. Yeah. I know. Well, us old people, right? Uh, yeah. 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let me pray for us. And as I pray, I'm going to walk over and grab my LaCroix. All right, Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, I pray that you would teach us uh, this morning. May I only say what you want me to say and nothing more and nothing less. Um, but would you, uh, would you visit us this morning in a fresh and a new way, maybe in a story that uh, we're, we believe we're too familiar with, but maybe not familiar enough with. Uh, so... Come, Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, teach us, uh, we pray in your name. Amen. So I want us to look at this passage in a specific way uh, this morning. I've, I've looked at this passage, and I've even had the chance to teach on this passage, uh, passage a handful of times. Um, but here, here's how I want us to think about it. Um, this, go with me here for a second. This goes without saying, right? But Mary, obviously, uh, is found just in this passage, to be playing a unique role, right, in God's plan of salvation for his people. So the, uh, the early church literally considered Mary the second Eve, right? That's how they thought of Mary, right? So you see kind of Mary's willing obedience and taking God at his word kind of juxtaposed against Eve's willing disobedience and not taking God at his word. So Mary obviously has a very, very significant place in God's redemptive plan. No one ever again will be asked to do what Mary did. So if you meet somebody who says that that's what's going on, you can say, no, I don't think that's what's going on, right? She's the mother of Jesus. She's blessed, which easily for us this morning could kind of um, cause Mary almost to be so unique that it would be easy to just kind of venerate who she was and not relate to who she was, um, because none of us are going to be asked to do this. But I hope that as we kind of walk through this this morning, um, and we look at how God comes to Mary, and how Mary responds, that we will see that God actually breaks into our lives and our stories in a very similar way. That, that Mary's story, though, you can say it this way, though utterly unique, is also in some ways completely familiar and similar for anyone who calls themselves a Christian. The way God works in Mary's life is not so far apart from the way God works in our lives. It involves the same steps, okay? So here are the, here are the steps we're going to look at this morning. God's favor, right? Mary's fear, and then ultimately Mary's faith. God's favor, if you want to go with just the F's, because that's clean. Favor, fear, faith. All right? So here we go. God's favor. Let's talk about 
the story for a second. Let's get some context for the story. Who is Mary, right? So Mary is a young girl. If you didn't know that, most scholars believe somewhere between the age of 13 and 15, right? So if you have high school kids, this hits different, right? She has her whole life ahead of her. But because of where she's from, just being from Nazareth, you would understand, or people of the day would understand, she has her whole life ahead of her, but it's not much of a life that's ahead of her, right? She is ultimately no one of, you know, like, pedigree or birth significance. She's a common girl from a very small town. There was no hope for the Harvard scholarship, right, to get out of Nazareth. She was going to be stuck there, right, living a very normal regular, small Jewish life. And where she was from was nowhere of significance. For the Jewish reader of the day, it had no political or religious significance. Nazareth um, was, was a, a speck on the map, okay? Even Nathaniel, uh, who was a disciple of Jesus, who Philip called, when Philip came and found Nathaniel, he goes, basically this like, hey, come on, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus, this Jesus from Nazareth. Philip's response was literally Nazareth? Like <laughs> nothing good comes from Nazareth. So I don't know what town you have to put in your mind. I started throwing around different small towns from, from you know, the mid-state and I figured I'm probably going to really offend somebody if I use one of those, uh, you know, Shelbyville? Uh, you know, yeah, anyways, Sorry. I love Shelbyville. I drive through it on my way to fish. So, <laughs> yeah, Nazareth's nowhere. We know that. We know that about her. We also know she's pledged to be married, right? Pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So pledged to be married in that day is as good as married. It's not how we think about it with our engagement period where when you, you know, people can break off engagements and things like that. It was a betrothal period they weren't physically together. Joseph would have been going away to prepare everything, right, to bring Mary back to her father's home. But they would have had basically zero contact at this time, right? But completely committed to is contractual as marriage at this point. So no, no intimacy, no nothing. It's like he's gone away to do this. But they're as good as married at this point when this angelic visit happens. And she and Joseph... You know, it's clear here, but just to point it out, she and Joseph aren't together when Gabriel comes to visit or vice versa because Joseph actually gets a visit. We're not going to talk about his visit much today. But uh, it is, I would say this, that it is God's grace that they both get a visit, right? Can you imagine trying to explain or the con convince the other person who you're betrothed to what the angel told you, Right? I thought, you know, it would have been nice if he actually sent one to the in-laws as well, you know? <laughs> like, that might have been my question to Gabriel. I've been like, so are you going to go talk to Joseph's folks? Or, <laughs> But at least God sent one to both of them. Matthew's account, we know that Mary got this visit first, right? Because uh, when the angel comes to Joseph, he already knows that she's pregnant, and it says that he, at that point, he was mulling it over, but his plan was at that time to divorce her quietly because um, basically the Old Testament consequences for adultery, which would have been the natural assumption, uh, were, that was the lowest of the consequences. You know, uh, Even the death penalty could have been evoked at this point. So 
they were both told through angels that God was doing something impossible here in and through them. He was coming in flesh, which for a first century Jew would have been inconceivable. Just even to use the name of God was kind of crazy. But the idea of God taking on flesh would have been something that would have been categorically impossible for them. So that he was going to come in flesh and was going to come through this pregnancy, this would have been an absolutely absurd thing for her to hear. That all of the promises to God through David, which is what she kind of, Gabriel explains to her, all of the promises to God for Israel through David are finding their fulfillment in this son to be born to her, whose name would be Jesus, the one born king of the Jews, like we read earlier. That he's going to be the one, the one that's coming through you, he's going to be the one that's going to save his people from their sins. And how does he make this enunciation? He says this, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are highly favored, God's favor, the Lord is with you. And her response is what? She's greatly troubled. She wonders, the word wonder there is to like do furious accounting in your mind. She's furiously accounting like, oh my goodness, what does this mean? What kind of greeting might this be? Greetings you who are highly favored. When you hear the word favored, right, you hear the word favor, it sounds like a good thing, right? You who are highly favored. So what's all the trouble about? Why is she so troubled? Well, I think beyond the obvious shock of what was shared with her, the designation highly favored actually is only found a handful of times in Scripture, that specific designation. Other places where it's used in Scripture are to describe, or it's said about people like Noah, or people like Moses, right? So favored, let's just say this, because when we hear favored, we obviously naturally think in terms of like, what have I done to do something in order to invite God's favor on our life? But favored doesn't mean that you've done something to deserve the favor of God. Rather, what it means is, is you are the one who God is pouring out his favor or the word actually there is a word for grace, his grace upon. That is who you are. You are the one whom I'm favoring. But think about this for a second. If you know the life of, if we're saying Mary was highly favored, but also Noah was highly favored, and also Moses was highly favored, right? If you think about Noah and Moses, both men who God used profoundly in redemptive history, right? They were, they were deliverers of God's people in many ways, and they were favored. But if you look at their life, their life was what? Hard. Right? God's favor upon you, right, wasn't, hey, I'm going to make your life amazing the way that you want your life to be amazing, the way that you think your life should be amazing. It wasn't like I was thinking about, you know, if you got lucky to be one of those people who goes on Oprah's show, I guess. Does she still do her show? No. Yeah, you remember what she used to do her show? And there was like that one day a year where it was like, look under your seat and there's a case with a million dollars in it. And then like, and there's a key to a new Lamborghini in it, right? It's just like, you're the favored ones. That's not what this means. So to be favored, to hear that from Gabriel, to, fa- to be favored was understandably, it was fear inciting for her. Maybe you could say it like this. There's a cost of a kind to being favored by God. There's a cost that the world won't understand. There's a cost that the world won't get behind. There's a loneliness. 
to being favored. And his favor meant this. He is going to do something, Mary. I am going to do something unique in and through and for you and for my people that is deeply good and that is absolutely needed, but it is going to be accompanied with difficulty, incredible difficulty, public confusion, right? Loss, the suffering of being misunderstood. You know, the obvious conclusion for anybody, just think about this for a second. The obvious conclusion for anybody would have been this. Either she cheated on Joseph during their engagement or she and Joseph got things going early. Both were completely unallowable by God's law, right? If you think about it, just think about it for yourself. Public confusion, loss, suffering of being misunderstood, being risking public shame, these are the things I spend my life trying to avoid, right? If that's <laughs> what favored means, leave me alone, right? So when God says, you who are highly favored, that means something. And yet, in the midst of her fear, not in spite of it, in the midst of her fear, you can maybe say it this strongly, in the midst of God authoring a seemingly chaotic situation that Mary is unavoidably caught up in, her world is getting upended right now. God seems very comfortable to call that his favor. This is my grace in your life. I am working good. I am working the greatest good for you and for the world through this. You're going to become pregnant. And you're going to give birth to God's son. And you're going to name him Jesus. You're not even going to get to name your own kid. That's how, he's my kid. Which means Savior. And he will be the fulfillment of God's promises to David. He will fulfill 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant, the Messiah that is to come. Salvation, God's salvation that was coming to the world through Mary. Salvation, our salvation always begins with God's favor. You see it? In her life and in our life. It's God's favor. It's his action. It's his breaking in. It's his grace. So God's favor, but now what? Mary's fear, okay? Mary has to be told the same thing that Joseph had to be told, the same thing that Zechariah had to be told. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. He tells her it again. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you're calling Jesus. Do not be afraid. I would argue this. She's not, I mean, I get it, an angelic visit. I mean, we're kind of trained to not believe in the supernatural. They would have been trained to believe in the supernatural, but even that... An angel visiting you would have been a shocking thing, but I don't think her fear is just, ah, glowing person, right? Gabriel. She's afraid of what he's saying, what he's telling her, what it will mean for her. And Gabriel, he acknowledges her fear, but he tells her a critical truth along with the favor that's really important, that accompanies finding favor with God. You don't find favor with God and not have what I'm about to say and what Gabriel says to her. It sums up what it means to find favor with God, and he tells her this. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. 
Mary, I'm with you. What I'm calling you to do, I have not called you to go do. You do not do it alone. I am doing it. I am with you. You don't find favor and not find him. And so her initial fear gives way to some willingness here to at least consider that this impossibility might be possible. And so she asks a question, right? He says, Mary, you found favor with God. You'll conceive, you'll give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be called great, the son of the most high, right? He's gonna be God's son. He's gonna be divine. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. That's the covenant promises and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. It's just fulfillment, promise, 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 fulfilled. Jesus is fulfilling every promise that God's ever made to his people. Okay, how will this be? Right? Her fear is at least got some willingness. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm still a virgin? Now, I don't know about you, but how, right, oftentimes is a question that I use when I'm afraid. Right? an easy question to go to how when I'm overwhelmed you know how is often an expression of some kind of fear some kind of doubt and if 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 you're like me and I think you see this in Mary because she goes to herself since I am a virgin right in and of myself I don't have the resources to have a kid how always kind of focuses me on me kind of turns me in on myself right and if you, if you remember, Jeremy preached on Zechariah last week, right? Zechariah also asks a how question, right? So it seems like, you know, Zechariah obviously got dealt, you know, a season of being very quiet. Uh, and he handles Mary very differently. What's, what's going on? What's, what's the difference between her question, how the angel responds to her, and Zechariah's question? But if you look at how Zechariah asks this question, it's subtle and it's different, right? He doesn't just say, how will this be? He says this, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? It's subtle, but it's important. Because the difference between Mary's question and Zachariah's question is this. Zachariah was actually questioning God's character. He was questioning God's word, right? Are you, how can I be sure that you're actually going to do what you promised to do? She's not, Zechariah wasn't questioning God's capacity. She was questioning him, or he was questioning him. Mary was just simply saying, how will this be? Zechariah was questioning if God would even do what he said. Zechariah's question really wasn't even a question. It was a statement. You ever have somebody who, I do, I do this sometimes, I hide my questions in the, or hide my statements in the form of a question? You're actually not make, asking a question. You're just making a statement about what you believe. Mary is not saying if. She's saying truly how. I'm a virgin. Babies don't just happen, right, is basically what Mary's saying. But I, I want you to just sit in this for a second with me because remember I'm saying how is Mary's life congruent with ours? How is her experience of God coming to her congruent with ours? We ask how questions all the time, don't we? How's that going to happen? And sometimes how comes from a place of wanting to be proved wrong. I'm asking, I'm asking the question because I want you to prove that what I believe is wrong. 
And sometimes that question comes, how can come from a place of, I'm convinced I'm right. Somehow questions don't want to be proven wrong, and some question how questions do want to be proven wrong. Sometimes I ask how because I'm seeking actually an answer, and sometimes I ask how because I'm already decided about what the answer is. You following? I mean, even think about this. Just listen to the way I do this with my tone. How can this be? Or how can that be? Just even the way that I ask that question kind of shows you where am I asking the question of how from, right? There's a kind of doubt that is using questions to stay in control. And there's a kind of doubt that is open to not being in control. There's a type of doubt that is concluded already. And there's a type of doubt that's actually curious about a possibility. Mary's not asking from a place of trying to control things. Mary's not asking from a place of being concluded. She's actually curious, how will this be? And what's fascinating is Gabriel answers Mary's how with a who. Right? If you think about what he says and the way that he even responds to her, he does say some things about what's going to happen. But really, ultimately, he says this. It's going to happen because the Holy Spirit and God is going to do something. God's going to do something miraculous. The Holy Spirit's going to do something miraculous. And I just encourage you, if you're asking for you and for me, if you're asking your how, if it doesn't involve the right who, your fear is only going to increase. Right? Your willingness to follow and to have faith is only going to be diminished because Gabriel answers her how with a who. And without God, without the Lord with you in your how, you're, if he's not with you, then you are all alone. And, and the answer to how is, if it's going to be, it's up to me. But God answers Mary's how with a who through Gabriel. And how does this faith start to work in her heart? Well, she ultimately starts to trust words other than her own, right? May your word to me be fulfilled is how this passage ends. May God's word, his word, not my word, not my reasoning, may your word to me be fulfilled. So how it starts to work in her life, how her fear starts to give way, is she begins to listen to a voice other than her own voice, right? You know this, and I know this, nobody talks to you more than you do, right? Me talks to me all the time, right? But Mary, in this moment, began to actually live out of his word to her, not her word to herself. Because if all I do is live out of my words to myself, out of my reasoning, out of my understanding, that can be a pretty dark place a lot of days, can it? Things can be very hopeless, Oftentimes seem very dark, right? Oftentimes my voice to me is just a, a repeat of either my shame from my history or my pride, how I'm, gonna, how I'm gonna make things happen, both which have me living out of a small identity. Mary's identity actually is shifting here. She's going from just saying, I am a virgin, right? To I am the Lord's servant. 
So her fear is starting to give way, actually, to faith. That I'm the favored one, that God is working in my life. He is even working in the difficulty that I'm experiencing and will experience for my best and for my good. Because the answer that Gabriel gives likely would have created more questions, wouldn't it? Like, think about the, the way that he answers her. She says, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Jesus. And you will call, uh, or he, yeah, sorry, I need to go down. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So no, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, right? The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, right? The Holy who? The how, right? The way he responds doesn't really clear anything up. He only gives her the real big picture. You're a virgin and you're going to conceive by God's miraculous work, right? And the son that's going to be born to you is going to be the savior of the world. And it's really a grace even of God to not go and explain and try to explain everything to her. Think about that for a second, right? Not how everything is going to work out in Jesus' life and how everything is going to work out in your life. She would have only gotten more afraid, Right? If he would have said, hey, let me tell you about the next 33 years. But Gabriel knows and the Lord knows ultimately what she needs to deal with her fear is this. You only need to know what the next step is. And ultimately you need to know this, that the next step and every step that you will take from here on out, you will not be alone. You are favored. He is with you. If you hear nothing else, let me just say, say it like this. Fear isn't quieted with a how. It's quieted with a who. If you're trying to quiet your fear through understanding, trying to quiet your fear with having it all explained, knowing the path, it's not going to work. Fear isn't quieted with a how. It's quieted with a who. And how I even know that further in here is He goes, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child. Look at how gracious the Lord is being to Mary. In her old age, she who is unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. He doesn't just say, the Lord is going to be with you. I'm going to give you somebody else to be alongside of you in this journey, your cousin Elizabeth. God is with her in giving a sister with her only in a slightly less impossible story to journey with her. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And so as a result of not wanting all the how, but realizing who is with me, favored Mary's fear doesn't have the final say right now. Nor does her understanding or agreement, because oftentimes how is just my clever way of trying to get agreement and be in control. If I can understand how, then I can agree with it. That doesn't require faith at all. She says, I don't understand all of this but I've got faith in your word. And so I'm not gonna be frozen in my fear right now, but in fact, I'm gonna move forward, even feeling afraid, you know? The angel doesn't say don't be, or don't feel afraid. He says don't be afraid. There's a difference between feeling and being. Don't be afraid. Don't trust in yourself or your own understanding. He is with you, so go. So the last thing is this, Mary's faith to follow. And this is the big shift we see in the story, and really I'd say it's the big shift that's available to us too. Ultimately is this, she goes from saying, I am just a virgin, or since I am a virgin, right, to I am the Lord's servant. 
You see what's happening to Mary right now? The identity shift that's occurring in her? She is embracing by faith, this is my identity. This is my God-given identity. Who you are establishes who I am, and therefore, let's go. I want to see what you're going to do, right? She embraces her God-given identity. I'm the one whom the Lord favors. I'm the one who the Lord is with. I'm the one who the Lord has made promises to and to his people. And she obeys. She obeys. James says faith without works is dead. Faith without obedience is dead, right? She's doing what 2 Corinthians 10 talks about, which means she's taking every thought captive and making it obey Jesus, right? She's actually reflecting the Christ who is going to come into the world in and through her womb when he in Gethsemane says, not my will, but yours be done. It's the same thing that she's doing right now. She's saying, okay, I don't understand everything, but I'm going to follow your will for my life. So for us this morning, I'll just leave us with this. Again, it's easy to think Mary's situation was just completely, and it was in many ways, utterly unique to her. But would you dare to believe that something impossible has happened for you as well? That something impossible has happened for you and for me. The scripture says that the Lord is with us, you and me. If you're in Christ this morning, which means you are a temple of the living God, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Something that 1 Peter says that angels long to look into, the relationship that you have with God. So as much as we could long to look into the relationship that God had with Mary, angels long to look into the relationship that you and I can have and we have with Jesus. Because of his life, death, and resurrection, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. But something of massive significance has happened. Maybe think of it like this. God visited you too. He made promises to you too. Would you and I in this season join Mary's wonder? How can this be? Not how can this be? How can this be? that I was dead in my sin and my trespasses and I have been made alive in Christ now. That new life from above came down for me, to me, in me. And so we don't have to live a life believing that being favored means a life of ease now. His, his favor won't mean a life of ease. It won't mean the absence of fear, right? Right? but it means that we can actually face the things that we're afraid because we do not face them alone. He is with us. He is with us. You have a 200 Elizabeths in the room. Look around. He has put his favor on you, which means you have a life of profound meaning. Mary had a role. So do you and I. It's not just I'm a virgin. I am the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's. I'm his, and he is mine. So Mary was favored. She wrestled with fear, and she walked by faith. So can we. Right? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're the favored one of the Lord? Do you believe that he's with you? Are you stuck in your how questions? Right? Would you let him meet you in the how? Right? And may you walk by faith. Because his divine power has given us everything we need to do it. Let me pray for us. Lord, 
Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you um, that you uh, give given us such a profound picture uh, through the life of Mary of what it means uh, we join her in her song, what you've done for the humble state of your servant. Lord, we didn't deserve any of this. Uh, we could have never made our way to you, and yet you came for us, and you have put your favor on us. Uh, forgive us, Lord, uh, for believing that what that means uh, is everything should be um, super easy. Uh, Father, uh, may we dare to believe uh, that you are with us in the most difficult places of our life. Uh, Father, help us wrestle with our fears. Um, not deny them or stuff them, Lord, uh, but acknowledge them. Uh, but pray that we would not use our questions to keep you at arm's bay. Uh, but actually, we would, we'd come to you with a curious heart uh, like Mary. And Lord, ultimately, um, may we experience a deep sense of the freedom of following you, uh, that we may be your servants. Uh, Lord, those who are uh, chosen, holy, and dearly loved to declare the praises of you uh, who has brought us out of darkness uh, into glorious light. We love you. In your name, amen.